Welcome to SLU Law Summations, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. This year's United States Supreme Court session was one of the most consequential in recent history. Beyond the Dobbs decision reversing the 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling, the court also ruled on Miranda rights, prayer in public schools, and the right to open carry. Many of the rulings have left even our top legal minds with more questions than answers. In this episode, we are joined by Professor Chad Flanders. Chad is going to help us dissect a few of the most significant decisions of this session, all the way from Alaska this summer. So thanks for joining us, Chad, on uh, to help clarify. Great, good to be here. Um, so first we have the, let's talk about the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus, I guess it's Bruin. Um, where the court's conservative majority ruled that the state did not have the right to enforce bans on carry weapons yet. Okay, so the question is like, yet later they rule in Dobbs versus Jackson that states do have the right to enforce bans on abortion. So how does that work? I mean, that's kind of where I had a lot, had an issue with making sense of it all. Right, so the way the court would answer that question, and this is from the point of view of the court, is that, the Second Amendment is a real right, and the right to an abortion is not a real right. Um, Spelling that out a bit more, I mean, it, what the court would say is, well, the Second Amendment is an enumerated right that it's spelled out in the Constitution that you have a right to keep and bear arms. Um, the right to an abortion is not in the Constitution, nor, and this is sort of the follow-up and, and part of their analysis, nor is it sort of deeply rooted in our history and traditions. So that's why they go back and look at all these laws in various states that criminalize abortion um or they take them to be i mean their, their history has been contested um they also do a lot of history in the bruin case as well talking about what sort of gun restrictions were present at the founding but the, the short answer is um there there's a right in the constitution the court says in one case and there's no right in the constitution in the other case i mean right. sort of conceptually we might say well i mean what is it supreme court is there like do the states get to decide or is it a matter of constitutional right? And and so, I mean, like, do you guys, does the court believe in federalism or not? And, and I guess their answer would be something like, well, if there's a right, we can't really give it away to the state to decide what to do with that right. There's just the right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there isn't a right, then it's left to the realm of politics and different states can do different things and pass more or less uh, onerous restrictions on right to have an abortion. Um, right. Yeah. That makes sense. I guess. <laughs> I mean, it does clarify. Yeah, I, mean, like, I will say, I mean, a lot, a, a lot depends on that initial premise being true for the answer right. to make sense, because right. I mean, a lot of people sort of, because this goes back to a case called DC versus Heller, where the court said, the way we read the Second Amendment is not that you have to be part of a militia, it's an individual right. And sort of like, from that starting point, all these other cases sort of unspool. It's like, well, if you don't have to be part of a well-regulated militia, own a gun, then there's a question, well, can you have a gun for self-defense? And then Bruin takes that a step further. Well, if you can have a gun for self-defense, is it just mean you can keep it in your home or can you take it outside of the home? Um, and so like, so you may disagree that the court's got it wrong. You may say, look, there is a right to privacy in yeah. various parts of the constitution that supports a right uh, to have an abortion. And you may say, I, I think that's the right. And I, I think that sort of decision should be taken out, out of the hands of the states. Um, what sort of footnote, because the, the, it, it's, it remains to be seen like how much uh, um, regulation is still left to the states when it comes to guns. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, what they what they basically said was like, you know, you have a right to self defense, and regulation schemes like New York's, which said you have to follow all these sort of like. Um, you have to meet all these conditions to be able to carry a gun outside the home. And then New York was like, and even after that, we can decide we don't want you to carry a gun outside the home. Okay. And the Supreme Court was like, oh, that, that's, a, that's too restrictive. It gives too much discretion to sort of people make arbitrary decisions. And, uh, but it still seems to leave the door open. And this gets discussed in some of the opinions to various regulations on who can carry a gun, right. what kind of guns you can carry. So, it, I mean, I think there's still a lot of litigation to be done to sort of right. fill out the scope of the Second Amendment right. So, I mean, the courts of appeals are going to be really busy with, with Second Amendment litigation in the coming years. Yeah. And then, I mean, and then because a lot of, you know, you think about New York, particularly in Manhattan, like you have public transportation, that's not going to, how does that work as far as this ruling? Is that just negating, like carrying that on there? Is that like- also, I mean, yeah, that, That's right. So city. You know, that's that's part of the questions because one of the provisions uh, um, in the regulation at, at issue in the Bruin case in New York was just about like, it, could the government say there's certain areas where you just can't have a gun and like certain mm -hmm. places? And so th those are the sort of questions that are gonna come up like, I mean, can't, can't bring a gun to the courthouse. Like the Second Amendment doesn't come that far. Courthouses can say, even though they're sort of like <laughs> state-owned or federally-owned buildings, they'll have those kind of like what I would take to be common sense restrictions. And it's just sort of like what other things are sufficiently like courthouses um, yeah. that you can say no guns are allowed in here. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, well, <laughs> that clears it up a bit, but <laughs> yeah. okay, so in Dobbs, dig into that just real quick real quickly um in quotes the court reversed the 50-year president arguing that the right to abortion is not in the constitution which you said but what about the right to privacy is that just it? and what other rights i guess could fall victim to that type of argument i guess like because if we're not saying abortion is protected by this right to privacy then what what else kind of falls like that that i don't know i'm just Right. So this is one of the things that a lot of people have been talking about. So if there's, I mean, so it's like, what's the court really saying? Is there just not a right to an abortion? Are they mm -hmm. some, saying something uh, broader about, and it's like, well, there's also decisions that say there's a right to contraception. Yeah. Uh, what happens to that? Or there's a right to gay marriage or anti-sodomy laws are unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. those, those are all decisions that are arguably in the same sort of vein of constitutional um, doctrine, substantive due process. Um, and the majority says, um, uh, make no mistake, we're not saying anything about those other cases. We're not saying anything about contraception, we're not saying anything about gay marriage. Those cases are not touched by our decision today. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Justice Thomas in a concurrence says, those are all up for grabs. Right. He doesn't like substantive due process. He thinks the court should reconsider cases like Obergefell, cases like Griswold. Mm -hmm. Cases like Lawrence, he sees them as all part of this same sort of line of decision that kind of invents rights uh, when they aren't in the Constitution. I mean, it, it, so... Uh, I guess, I mean, like, my lots, question is, like, there's a lot that wasn't in the Constitution, right? The Constitution was written in, like, the 1700s, so right. how do we even apply right. that? This is a very yeah, this, different world. This the, <laughs> right, this is the question, because I... And this will be, I mean, one of the things to watch. Um, yeah, so part of the worry is that majority says it it's not considering these yeah. things like well but other people are and at 
the next time someone sort of litigates uh, mm -hmm. and raises for the Supreme Court, what's it going to say this time? Um, and that's why Justice Thomas is sort of like that. Yeah, I'm consistent. I, I don't like any of these cases, and they're all the same thing. Um, yeah, the question of sort of unenumerated constitutional rights is a little bit above my pay grade. I mean, what the majority says is they want to look at things that are rights that are deeply rooted in our history. And so mm -hmm. things like maybe the right to travel between states um, would be found there. And, and even Justice Thomas says in the Privileges and Immunities Clause of the 14th Amendment, we should look and see what rights were sort of uh, held, retained by the people um, sort of in our history. Mm -hmm. That the Ninth Amendment says things about that too, like any sort of uh, that the people retain some rights. So there, there, there are points in the Constitution, Privileges, Immunities Clause, and the 14th Amendment, the 9th Amendment, where the Constitution seems to point to rights that we have that aren't enumerated. But what the conservative majority is saying more and more is like, look to the history, look at the time of the founding, look at the time of the Reconstruction Amendments, and see what rights people had then. Um, mm -hmm. So it's very, and that's why they're going way back into the history and doing a lot of history, because um, for the question of what uh, like unenumerated rights are, is that is to say rights that aren't explicitly guaranteed in the Constitution, yeah. we have to look to history. Uh-huh. Oh, God. <laughs> it's yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the, the one theme coming out of this sort of unmistakably is the court is really into history. They're yeah. original, and so they want to see what rights did we have at the founding, and that's sort yeah. of the baseline. Um, well... I can think of a few people that didn't have very many rights at the time. Right, yeah, and then that's, there's sort of like, like when we're looking at the history of like abortion laws, like, well, who was making the laws? Who had uh, the right to vote uh, back then? And so is that is that history especially probative as to sort of what rights we really do have? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how do you see this playing out like at the state level? Like what, what I mean, like we've we've seen some stuff, you know, Louisiana, there's a it's just in particular to Dobbs, I guess we've seen some litigation or um, in Louisiana that has put a hold on on that um, law going into place. But what kind of legal resources or what you know, what's next for people or especially women in this country? So I think and I don't know exactly about the sort of the more recent stuff about Louisiana. There's some, there've been some like sort of particular challenges to the laws and states yeah. based on process grounds. I, I can say broadly, like there's two two things that, that happen. The one is uh, a lot of stuff will be litigated under state constitutions. Uh -huh. So I'm in Alaska, Alaska's constitution has a right to privacy, which the Alaska mm -hmm. courts have said includes the right to an abortion. So even if there's no uh, right to an abortion under the US constitution, state constitutions, and it's like a dozen or so states have provisions yeah, that yeah. either could be or have been read to encompass the right to an abortion. Mm -hmm. uh, Missouri isn't one of them. Um, so, I mean, there might be sort of challenges to particular laws about the wording of those laws, about mm -hmm. how precise those laws are, what the scope of those laws are. You could find rights in state constitutions, but other than that, the course like, it's a matter of politics. So like in Missouri, I mean, we, I think we were the first state to say our abortion law kicks in. Um, so it could be electing representatives to change the law. Mm -hmm. it could be, I think referenda are going to be sort of a hot topic. And we, the deadline in Missouri may have already passed for this year, but in coming years, there's probably going to be referenda to change. Ballot. So ballot referendum yeah yeah on the initiative so that the people propose like 
you should add this exception or you should change the language this way or yeah so um yeah so that should be interesting to watch um, yeah Definitely. A lot of stuff playing out. You know, I think a lot of times we get very focused on what happens federally, but this is a good example of how things really are playing out um, on a state level that is just so different from state to state, even across, you know, our, our river here in Missouri. So. Right, right. Um, okay, next. What was my next question? Um, okay. So another decision regarding, I guess, citizens' rights is the Vega versus, I guess, I'm not, I'm not trying to say this, TACO? Yeah. Yeah. Where the court's ruling bars lawsuits against police officers for evidence obtained without advising people of their Miranda rights. Okay, so what is the argument there? And then how is that going to impact criminal justice? Because they're talking about, we talked about this previously, so they're talking about like civil cases. Right. How will so, that look like in the court of law, I guess? So yeah, just to give some context to it. So um, you can sue the government if it violates your constitutional rights. So if the government busts in your house without a warrant, or if the government arrests you for free speech, um, you can sue them and you can say you violate my constitutional rights and you can get damages for violation of constitutional rights. What was issue in the Vega case is um, he said there were, there were statements obtained in violation of Miranda, like he wasn't read his Miranda rights. There were statements obtained um, from by a police officer and that were used against him at trial. And he said that violated my, my Miranda rights mm -hmm. to actually get some damages. And so the question the court took up in this case was, can you get damages for a Miranda violation? Um, and the court said no. So, so, so narrowly, it means that like you can't recover uh, any damages from that um, okay. sort of situation. I mean, but what that says also is the court really doesn't think Miranda is a real right. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you buy, if the cop had violated his Fourth Amendment rights, mm -hmm. uh, illegally arrested him, or busted into a house without a warrant, he could recover damages. And then. Yeah. And then there's been lots of litigation about that for unlawful seizures, unlawful searches, um, but not so for, or like if it was a coerced confession, they'd say, yeah, but a violation from Miranda, the court has always been like, ever since the Warren court, a succession of conservative courts have been really skeptical about what Miranda is and whether there, it's really a right at all, if it's just something uh, the Warren court invented. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, what this means for Miranda rights uh, overall in the criminal context, it, it's not really telling us anything that we didn't already know. The court could have taken this opportunity to say, actually, Miranda is not required by the Constitution. You don't have to do it anymore. They could have said that, but they didn't. So they they continue into this sort of like weird path with Miranda, where Miranda, they say, is like, it's a constitutional requirement, but it's not a constitutional right. The language here is really fuzzy and very confusing. If you listen to the oral argument, no one knows how exactly to talk about Miranda. Um, so, yeah. When was Miranda decided? When was that? It was in, I want to say, the late 60s. Don't quote me on this. I think it was 1967. Yeah. But, uh, well, you're re being recorded, but I won't quote you. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, okay. So, as far as... Um, you know, um, qualified immunity goes, this doesn't really kind of play into place. No, no. I mean, this is more because, I mean, part of, well, I mean, indirectly, I mean, part of qualified immunity was like, was a right violated? And if the mm -hmm. court's saying that a violation from Miranda is not a real rights violation that you can recover from, they're kind of saying like, yeah, we, we don't even have to get to like, whether a reasonable officer would have done this or not. We just, there wasn't a rights violation right. at all. You can't okay. recover. Period. Okay. All right. That makes sense. 
I feel like I'm saying that, but I'm like still processing. Like I feel like I've done a lot of processing. None of this really makes week. sense. I mean, I, this this case this case involves such a confusing area uh, because the court does not want to overrule Miranda because it's such a popular decision. Yeah. Although I mean, uh, and although you might say, well, there's other popular decisions that wasn't hesitant to override. Um, yeah. But um, they don't want to elevate the status of Miranda any more than they have to. Uh huh. Uh, so this they is like, like I, it, but they're going to like live with it. Right. Exactly. They're going to they're gonna diminish it. They're going to minimize it as much as they can without outright overruling it. I will say this is about three weeks of my criminal procedure class in, uh, in five minutes. Because yeah, Miranda has all these exceptions. It's sort of, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So a plug for criminal pro, crim pro with uh, Professor Ferry. Or with anybody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, so, okay, and finally, a case that has received, I mean, to me, it was flew right under the radar, um, receiving far less attention is Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, where the court sided with a coach who prayed at a public school following the game, I guess, repeatedly. I was trying to, like, look up a little, there's far yeah. less and more information on this um, than there is anything else. Um, what does this decision mean for the longstanding concept of the separation of church and state? And, like, I guess how, I always assume that that, too, was, a, like, a in the Constitution, but then now I'm saying it's not, it's just like a concept that we yeah, have. Yeah, it's a concept. I mean, it, it, it's from a letter that Jefferson wrote. So, and it's been quoted repeatedly in Supreme Court decision. Uh-huh. Um, that Jefferson and, wrote, you said? Yeah, I think letter to the Danbury Baptists, I think is the, um, so, I mean, it, I think starting in a case called Emerson versus Board of Education, the, the court favorably cited the, the, the letter. Um, um, but I mean, as a concept, I mean, so there's these two parts of the uh, First Amendment. One says you have a right to free exercise of religion. And the court talked a lot about Kennedy's right to free exercise of religion. He said, coach has a right to pray. Um, mm -hmm. And it also talked about the, the concern about establishment. Um, mm -hmm. But in the way the court is going, this is a very, very pro free exercise court. Yeah. Um, and just a, just a word about the facts, because I, I I've been following this case, and it's it's really amazing how different the presentation of the facts from the majority and the dissent are. And if, if you read the opinion, the dissent just puts a couple photographs. If you read the majority opinions, you'll think that the coach would, well after everyone was gone, was sort of walking by himself to the 50-yard line and kneeling in silent prayer and then left. Mm -hmm. um, but it seemed like at some point it turned from his silent prayers to sort of then all his players were joining him. Then the knee was joining him at some yeah. point. I think it, that's what I saw too. I saw, yeah. I saw pictures of that in like the paper and stuff. Right. Yeah. So it became like a real sort of really kind of a disruptive mm -hmm. event. But I mean, uh, I mean, there's a question at, like, at uh, what point the school's discipline came, whether they were more disciplining for his, I mean, part, one way of framing the issue is like, were they disciplining him for his religious expression or because it was disruptive? Right. However, the court, the, the Board of Education said, like, well, we don't want to make it appear as if our school is endorsing religion. Mm -hmm. And you can see how, like, even players might be worried. Like, if I don't join, join coach at the 50-yard line, yeah. I might get in next week. Like, right. I'm going to get yeah. on next week. Mm -hmm. Or um, so the worry about the subtle coercive pressures. I mean, what the court said, they said, Kenny's got a right to free exercise of religion here that's being trampled on by the Board of Education. Mm -hmm. Board of Education say they have a countervailing interest in preventing establishment of religion, um, which the lower court saw as 
comprising two points. First, I sort of worry about coercion that I already mentioned that that students, especially like students, might be worried that like hey, if I don't if I don't yeah. seem to pray with a the coach, then the coach isn't going to like me. And then mm -hmm. the oral argument had nice discussions of like how students might feel a special pressure to to um, um, join in the coach or the teacher's religion. Mm -hmm. What the lower courts were also talking about too was this idea of endorsement, with the idea that certain symbolic actions by cities or by people like these are the cases with all religious displays and like yeah 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 in town hall and like that that this might convey a message of endorsement that people looking at a reasonable observer looking at it may think i can't really be part of this community because i don't share their religion the court basically said don't worry about endorsement anymore establishment is just about coercion and so if you feel like you're coerced like if you're forced to pay taxes to support a church or if you're mm -hmm. forced to pray um, that's the court's main concern is coercion, less so with this idea of endorsement. All right, that makes sense. Because then I saw like people like, well, when churches should pay taxes, well, the court is saying like, no, actually, that's that's not what we're saying. Yeah, I mean, that's always been sort of an issue about like, uh, <laughs> when churches don't pay taxes. It's that... funny, like all the memes that come out, and I have a, a habit now in my line of work of like backing it up like okay what does this really mean i right. look up everything yeah. you know i wish yeah. everybody did that That's not the case. Yeah. um so this question kept coming up today and and a lot of political people um you know politicians have been saying that since the last three judges were put up um you know were on the senate panel or whatever mm -hmm that they perjured themselves when they said that they would oh. not over. Is that even a thing? No. So, I mean, they, they are under oath. I mean, my, right. I think, um, and then there's Senator Collins who was concerned that she was lied to by uh, yeah. Ben Judge, now Justice Kavanaugh in private conversation. My sense is if you go back and look at their statements, they're probably carefully worded enough so that, I mean, the, ju the justices all do believe in stare decisis to some degree. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe Justice Thomas, not so much, but um, I think Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Barrett all will say, yes, yeah, stereotypes is important. And if you're going to overrule a law, you have to consider reliance interests, the quality of the, the uh, previous decisions ruling. I mean, they'll say, and so they, they can say that. And, and I think they rightly said that when they were judges, they had to follow Supreme Court precedent. Right. And they said that we take precedent seriously, but yeah, I mean, I also think they think in their heart of hearts that Roe v. Wade was a really bad decision. Uh -huh. And so you should give less weight in terms of sticking to what you've already decided to really bad decisions. And it was a bad decision because of why? Uh, the right's not in the constitution. It may be that there's a countervailing state interest that mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade diminished or, or sort of didn't uh, okay. uh, capture adequately. I mean, they, they probably have moral objections too, but I think they also have some constitutional objections. Yeah. I mean, there's been a steady stream of criticisms of Roe um, yeah. from the time it was decided mm -hmm. and um, they agree with those criticisms. Right, right, okay. Um, are there any cases that I haven't talked about? That oh, there's a lot. I mean, there's, I mean, so it's sort of interesting. I, and I, this happened to me where like, I, I was made more aware because I, I was one of those people who was, uh, uh, following SCOTUS blog and like refreshing, refreshing to yeah, see if yeah, today yeah. <laughs> and they'll, they'll have some either statutory interpretation question or a sentencing question. Um, 
I mean, there, there was another case about uh, funding of religious schools, Carson versus Macon, mm -hmm. which is, uh, I thought was interesting because of its um, sort of how the court is really a free exercise court and not so much an establishment court. Because you might worry that federal or state money going to religious schools is, hey, that looks like establishment to me. But of course, the free exercise because you can't discriminate against religious schools. Mm -hmm. So um, there's that. But it, as usually is the case, they, they uh, leave the um, sort of most controversial, most uh, dramatic cases to the end. But there's, I mean, there's a lot of other smaller cases that I think Yeah, the one that just came out today on the, um, what was that? So, yeah, the, the overlapping sort of jurisdictions. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that is a case with massive implications because mm -hmm. the previous case, McGirt, also had massive implications about enforcement of law um, sort of in the state of Oklahoma. But yeah, it's like these, there's lots of really important decisions um, uh, that might sort of have different impacts in different states. Um, I really feel like this particular term has been like that. I mean, I looked back on like, cause I was, when I was preparing for chatting with you, I, I, I pulled up the last time that we talked, which was a year ago today, when the only <laughs> thing we had to talk about was that one free speech social media case. Like you basically right. told me after talking like that doesn't, it doesn't really have that big of uh, implication. Yeah, that was, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's sort of an interesting case, fun case yeah. to think about. Yeah. And then there's cases like that every year. And the cases, the cases are important. Like there's lots of cases dealing with like, um, like sentencing or habeas corpus, like yeah. sort of, I mean, that are really important to, and, and a lot of cases are really important just to, to a few people and they, yeah. but they can make sort of, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, make a difference of life and death in those decisions. I, I, I think what why this court seen why this term seems much more momentous is that you have sort of a clear sign that it's not the Roberts court. Roberts is is um, either concurring or in the Senate law decisions that the three Trump appointed justices are sort of voting together a lot of the time. I mean they split sometimes in interesting ways, but on a lot of the major cases. So and you have like older precedents being overturned. So that's always like a really big deal. Yeah, it feels momentous. That's yeah, I know. But I think I think it's and it's also I think that one of the themes that I've noticed that repeated, repeated is, and I've mentioned it already several times is this, this real turn towards history, like yeah. the, the Bruin case, the Dobbs case, mm -hmm. all these cases had like pages long discussions of history and citations to like old common law cases, which just, I mean, so like you need to know your history if you're going to do constitutional law now in a way that has not been the case um, um, for a long time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a lot to unpack. And I thank you for yeah. sticking with me um, after your full day of work. Um, oh, no problem. <laughs> so thanks for joining us. All right. Um, okay. Stop. Should I say thank you? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us for SLU Law Summations, produced by St. Louis University School of Law.